This podcast contains adult language and themes that may be unsuitable for some listeners. You've been warned. Get ready to challenge your own opinions and ideas, because these folks are going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. Hey there, I'm LeJohn. I'm Joe. And I'm Matt, and this is the Going There Podcast. Today we're here to talk about a taboo topic that shouldn't be so taboo, because it's probably the only guarantee we have in life anymore. Uh, It used to be the saying, the only two guarantees are death and taxes. And as we've seen, if you're rich and powerful, taxes are not necessarily a guarantee either. And here to talk through death with us is somebody who sees it on a regular basis. Mr. Shannon Blower, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's my pleasure. And uh, yeah, right. It's a a crazy freaking topic to talk about, you know. Um, a taboo for sure, and I'm uh, I'm glad to uh, brighten the corner. Well, we definitely appreciate you being here, sir. Uh, regardless of you know the circumstance and everything, and taking the time for us, and looking forward to picking your brain about this very interesting and very intriguing topic. My pleasure, my pleasure. So, before we jump in head first, can you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, certainly. So. I am someone who has been in uh, ministry, goodness, for 30 plus years anyway, and uh, much of it has been in the, as a community pastor. Uh, more recently, the last 12 years, I have been in clinical work in acute care hospital as a palliative chaplain. Um, I was uh, doing some clinical education for chaplains and training for a while. And right now I am uh, working in a local community hospital, uh, level one trauma center that is just about at capacity um, with so many of our patients being uh, COVID patients, uh, folks that are ill and uh, dying of COVID. And it's, uh, it's a heavy burden, I don't mind telling you. I can't imagine what it's like as a doctor, but especially as somebody in your position to take that home with you every day and try to compartmentalize it. Well, candidly, I think the art is not to do that. Uh, The art is to integrate it and to become um, as comfortable or familiar uh, and emotionally uh, present to the suffering that's going on around us. Um, I, I suppose that the greatest uh, hardship is to try and communicate to loved ones and family members who are isolated one from another, to try and enforce policies that are for the good of, of everyone, but it doesn't feel like that when your loved one is dying and you have not seen them in 30 plus days. Uh, there's a whole breath of anger and sadness and heartbreak and frustration from everybody involved. So to compartmentalize that is to delay a big uh, explosion later on. It's not it's not good for any of us. How, how frustrating must it be um, to continue to see COVID kill, essentially, yet people on the outside of what you see still just don't believe and don't don't understand how serious it is? How frustrating does that get on a daily basis? 
um, their experience is just simply uh, not seeing the suffering that goes on with a patient who dies of uh, the, uh, the virus. So it is, it's frustrating. Um, and yet, uh, in some odd way, I got to tell you the truth, um, I kind of understand it. it. It's implicit to every problem we have in our country, uh, racism, um, uh, homophobic, it, it, on every level, it is the same sort of dilemma, which is I stay isolated in my tiny little world. If I don't experience it, it's not true. And so it 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 becomes this sort of uh, undergirding narrative to all of the uh, uh, me first concept or me first disposition that is uh, rampant in our country. Yeah, you're spot on, and it's it's a topic I probably comes up in every episode here. Um, before we go too much deeper down that rabbit hole, I wanted to possibly have you clarify a little bit. Uh, you touched on it, but some people might not realize what your role in the hospital system looks like. Can you talk to that just a little bit, even high level? Yeah, so I am the uh, palliative chaplain, w which means that uh, I am um, accustomed to helping families, uh, individuals, uh, receive a, a diagnosis that is uh, difficult, if not terminal, uh, to, to walk them through the prognosis um, and to help and be, and be present with, you know, social workers and, you know, physicians and nursing and uh, uh, APPs and uh, across, the, across the, the scope of things. We help people. Uh, come to terms with this, and then help them uh, manage uh, this process of uh, of going f through this dying process to uh, ultimately ending up in hospice. Um, but palliative is that in-between ground. So death and dying is not something that is uh, novel to me, although each person presents in, in a unique way, but uh, we're accustomed to it. What we're not accustomed to are the circumstances that surround uh, this particular time in our country. Uh, we're not accustomed to uh, keeping families apart. Um, so much is communicated through touch or these different things like that, that candidly we're not able, we're not able to connect that way with folks. And that is, uh, that's a whole nother level of disorienting sadness. So you and I were talking about this on the phone the other day, kind of discussing how we would uh, approach the topic of death. And I think you laid out for me something that I had never heard, but it was it was very uh, well, it was very intuitive, and and it's obviously coming from your experience. Well, hell, I don't know, Matt. That's been days ago. I don't remember what the hell I said even this morning. So tee me up better than that, shit, man. Tell me what it said. You get to see have the fortune or misfortune of seeing people on their deathbed and seeing their families do it, uh, shed a light on the, the, I guess a, uh, pattern of different things that you've seen from that end. I am, uh, I'm fond of saying, uh, to folks that anybody who thinks they're an expert on death are folks that have not died. The experts on death are in the bed and their books and their story, uh, are, is rarely written. And so um, what I what I see is people die how they've lived. Um, and 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 that and that's there's no judgment of that. That's that's just simply the way it is. I will die in my sweatpants. 
<laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, really, you know, we can kind of play around with this, and and we asked the we asked the question, um, even to, even to you three there, um, what do you anticipate your death will look like? Ooh, I I know when I die. It's going to be something that make the royal wedding just look like a sham. Uh, there's going to be <laughs> trumpeters, uh, uh, people just shouting from the rooftops of how great a man I am. But that's my funeral. Um, I haven't thought about, you know what? I, I'm such a future seeker and a future liver. I'm so it's actually surprising that I haven't put much thought into what happens when I die. Man, I think about that shit every day. Tell us. I hope <laughs> I hope that I die with my boots on fire, meaning that I did everything, and I, and and the streets will owe me nothing because I took everything from them. That's I, that's how I feel. I mean, I feel like you know, I could be on my deathbed and everything. I'm not married now. If I was to be married or whatever, or looking at my kids, I could, after, after his third divorce, I mean, exactly. he's gonna be mid coitus, <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I I could look at you know my 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 wife or my mistress and say, hey, listen, we did a good job, didn't we? We had we we had fun, didn't we? Yeah, we did it. We did it good. Yeah. I mean. I feel like the most comfortable would be just to die in your sleep, but um, I'm dramatic, so maybe something crazy will happen. Um, It'll be a temper tantrum. <laughs> She'll be mid-temper tantrum. I'll be mid-temper tantrum. Hopefully my hair will look good, though, <laughs> and I will be wearing clothes where it won't look bad if they get soiled. No, I, I honestly don't know, and I'm terrified um, of it, and I think a lot of it is because our society doesn't ever acknowledge death or talk about it it's always something that's you know put off and then when you do die often you die in a hospital alone perhaps your family comes to visit you but you know you sequester and then you know when the body dies you pump it full of embalming fluid and have some weird ceremony very that scientific yeah, true and and so one of the things that i noticed in each one of your descriptions uh although joe you you were you were a little bit more personal um each Thank each you. one of you each I one failed. of you um used a third person description um you talked about yourself as as if you were reading some sort of glorious thing in the newspaper or well, some... that's a personality disorder i have <laughs> <laughs> so so my so my point is when you say or when we ask the question we talk about well how is it how is it that we want to die or what is it that we anticipate death will be like it is such a freaking unknown it's almost impossible to answer the question um, the themes are that each individual who dies, dies in such a unique, unique way. Uh, when they are feeling every single thing go away, when they hear, now, again, you die in a car accident, that's a, that's a whole different animal. But you die in, in the context in which I work, it, it, it sounds like you, you, hear a, you hear a diagnosis and like all good Americans, man, we're going to fight it, fight it, fight it. And that's good. It's fine. Medicine has brought us a certain way. But then medicine reaches its shore. And we are forced to address the fact that our lives are temporary. And, and in so many ways, we don't really know jack shit about what happens after we die. 
And we don't know what's, what, what is going to happen when we're dying. I feel like religion and myth, um, so much of it is based off of trying to accept death. Do you think as a chaplain that you would agree or do you think that a lot of these people mm, might not be viewing death in you know that way? Someone once said that life, that human existence is like a book that is missing the first chapter and the last chapter. In other words, we kind of we're here, but we kind of don't know how we got here. We know we die, but we don't have a sense about what happens after we die. And so because of that, there is just a boatload of existential angst. There's this. And, and so what do you do? Well, you you make up story, you make up myth, you you imagine so much of our lives are lived by narrative and, and imagination. And so when we think about um, what's going to happen after we die, it only stands to reason that there are just tons and tons and tons of religi religious and philosophical literature that is going to uh, try and assuage and calm uh, the, the minds and hearts of folks that are facing death. Um, and, and each political system has their own narrative. Trust me, capitalism has its too, right? Everyone has their own narrative to keep people in the saddle and living and producing. But in the end, Joe, um, it is myth, it is religion, it is narrative, it is whatever story we are telling ourselves to make us feel better about what we do not know. Have you guys ever seen the film, um, I think it was called The Invention of Lying? Uh, no, but it sounds lovely. Who was that? It's got uh, Ricky Gervais. Yes. And lying has never existed in this universe. And he goes to the bank. And since lying doesn't exist when he says he has a million dollars or whatever amount it is, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, well, there must be an error. Um, <laughs> and But there's a beautiful scene that I probably, I think that maybe a more pious, cynical person would see it as like bad and atheist. But his mom is dying and no one had ever... No one knows what happens, and, and since people can't lie or make things up, no one's ever really asked the question because there is no answer. And so he tells her essentially about heaven, about this afterlife. It's the most beautiful thing she's ever heard, and all these people are there to hear it, and they're like, tell us more about this. And suddenly the world's looking to him like, what is this afterlife? Where's this cloud <laughs> place that we're going to? And, and And at the same time, whether or not you believe in that, you sit there, at least I did as a as a viewer, and I go, damn, I, I hope he's right. That sounds great. That's Matt, you just put your finger on it. That that really is the it, it is the truth. It isn't listen, it isn't that uh, that there's not some sense of hope. I, I, I truly believe that in terms of a scientific uh, framing of the afterlife, I think physics offers us our our best hope for that. Uh, and and trust me, I'm I'm no whiz in this stuff, but from the standpoint of uh, energy never being lost or created, um, right. we are energy. That's what we are. And so we're going to go on how and all of that. We just don't know. That's for sure. Right. So if you're um, if you are your body is failing, it's like, as Joseph Campbell would say, you are the light bulb. Are you the light bulb that carries the light or are you the light in which the bulb is the vehicle? Yeah. Which is like, so your consciousness would live on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so 
if I'm not careful, I can give the impression that I'm not tethered to anything. Um, I am quite tethered to the scriptures. What I'm getting at, though, is I take the Bible seriously enough to actually question it. I don't I, I take it seriously enough to say, how in the hell can that be true? And then I use that as the platform to look in all the other realms of knowledge and experiences whereby I might say, how could this be true? How, how might this be so? And and I do this not because um, I think that we can ultimately put our finger on it. I think I do it because of of what I do to everybody that I care about. I want to show kindness and love. So your illustration, Matt, uh, and incidentally, when you first talked about it, I heard you say the invention of wine, <laughs> not the invention of love. No wonder you so, got so excited. <laughs> and so both were great news. <laughs> but my, but I guess, so I guess my point is um, uh, comfort and and hope and trust these are these abstract qualities of the human spirit that that transcend this level of mechanical knowing that we think gives us hope it doesn't what gives us hope is trust that there it seems like there's more what that more could be golly i i uh i have my favorite storylines too yeah what is something that you often say to people when they are visiting you um in the hospital. Yes. Yeah, so um, a, a significant part of this of this work is where they are in their journey. And trust me, you three, you four, and me, we are at a place in our journey. This 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 ship is going to land somewhere, and uh, so wherever they happen to be uh, determines how I engage it. Um, but there's a presupposition that I have, Joe, and here's what it is: that every single person knows their own way out. Like within you is the answer to your own peace. And so a significant part is just me being able to lean into those things that they have been living by. More often than not, um, uh, people are not aware of the values they live by. They're not aware of the deep truths that have informed their behaviors and actions. They just kind of do it. They just kind of live it, right? Um if there's some angst, it's when, you know, they were trained to hate gays and uh, LGBTQ and all this, you know, they've been trained to hate that. And then they run into somebody that damn, they're a nice person and it's disorienting and they have to call that into question. And all of a sudden their experience teaches them something different. So so when that when that goes on, that's this lovely opportunity to draw out the intuitive uh, knowing of each individual. So I, I believe, Joe that my first my first step is to try and ascertain their deepest sense of knowing what they've been living by and and from there to help frame a a uh, a way of approaching death that is the way they approach life right if they were adventurous if they were outgoing who knows what so know. if they were really into money would you be like you're gonna get the dopest casket <laughs> <laughs> Does Tesla yeah, make yeah, caskets? Yeah. I'm gonna be like, dude, man, your money has bought you the best place on the other side you have ever seen. <laughs> um, actually, though, but I so uh, listen. These are just such good insight questions. But what I would do is say um, that that money was symbolic of something to you, 
money means something to people. It means something. It might mean safety. It might mean uh, a sense of significance. It might mean uh, who the hell knows. Each person would have to self-report. But the person who amassed wealth and loved money, it meant something to them. It meant something in the abstract. I would lean into the abstract and say, that is yours by gift and grace. You thought it was yours by earning and trading and striving, but that is yours by gift and grace. So we're going to take a quick musical break here. And when we come back, we're going to uh, talk about our Snack Sips and Sweets sponsor, which is Wolf Creek Winery. And here's what's crazy. When I asked Shannon to do this episode, I said, you know what? Your son's an awesome musician. He always played at the church with his wife and and some of the other uh, family members. And we should get him to do the music. And the name of his band is Wolf Creek. Get out of here. Wow. Talk (laughs) about kismet. It, 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 It had to be. So here to tee up his music is actually Shannon's son, Elijah. Elijah, can you tell us a little bit about your band and the song we're about to hear? Uh, So, yeah, my band, uh, we started uh, maybe five or six years ago um, with uh, my older brother and my younger brother and my wife. Uh, Since then, we've added Sam Wisend and uh, Ben Grom uh, as extra instrumentalists. But the song that we uh, that you're going to hear, The Year of the Dragon, is a song that I wrote in 2012, about maybe five or six months after my uh, firstborn son uh, died. And we got to, it, 2012 was the year of the dragon. Um, if you don't know, Tong is my wife, that's her name, she's Chinese. We did a lot with Chinese zodiacs and stuff. But after, uh, my son's name was Eden, after Eden died, uh, our whole life was sort of just, it was just so unexpected and uh, was out of nowhere. It came at, uh, we, were at, we were in our most hopeful phase with him. He was born with a rare genetic disease and he went in for a routine surgery on his heart and everything went wrong. And the day after they sent him home, when we thought we were done, he just died in our arms at home. And it felt uh, uh, terrible. And so the song, lots of songs came out of it. None of them, none of them very hopeful. Um, By the time I got to the year of the dragon, uh, a couple more people had, uh, had passed away that we knew we were close to. And it just felt like everything was falling apart and everything was going away. <laughs> like the, the entire world was oh, already had, had ended. But the song itself is about kind of just saying goodbye. Uh, at a certain point, we realized that when we would make our way through feeling uh, angry or despair, uh, Tong and I would often talk about how uh, Eden just was a very, very short gift that we had for the littlest time that we had him. So yeah, I wrote the song uh, singing to him, imagining that he was this uh, this person that goes out 
allowing us to really love him, but sort of had this mission ahead of him that he knew he wasn't going to be able to come back from. Sort of sang him a, a hero's song in a way, I guess. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I think there's no better time for a drink um, to get through the rest of this topic. So uh, our snack, sips, and sweets highlight of this podcast is the winery at Wolf Creek. They're in Norton, Ohio. They were founded in 1980 by Andrew Weinberg. Wine spelled W-I-N-E. So it was kind of like meant to happen, right? It's like. That, that's your uh, that's your birthright <laughs> um, on the par- the property of his parents, Melvin and Harriet Weinberg. So they have 10 acres of vineyard planted all at the base of the hill. And it's an awesome place. So they provided us with some really nice snacks. So we got some nice smoked Gouda and some whiskey sticks, which are like sweet and, and savory all at once. And uh, some nice crackers to go with the cheese. And then we also got a couple of bottles of wine. So, uh, LeJohn, which which bottle do you have there? Now, I've been over here sipping slow on the Nouveau. Um, it's really good, man. It has, of course, two beautiful wolves on the front of the, on the bottle there. <laughs> and... Um, Nice red wine. It's traditionally the first wine of the new harvest and um, bottled by the second week of November to enjoy with roast turkey, honey glazed ham, or a little cranberry relish. Uh, It's a young wine, uh, acidic, but a bit tart. And as you mentioned, it it goes perfectly with those turkey dinners and those holiday meals. And then uh, going along with some of these biblical themes of today is the other wine, Joe. Ooh, Exodus. Glad I've been in the desert for 40 years. I could use a drink. And it's this wine, baby. Yeah, this table wine is inky, smoky, rich. It's a medium-bodied red. And uh, it's gone because I done drank it all. (laughs) (laughs) And we're transitioning from the French to the Italian, which is more my speed. It's got the uh, variety of uh, Italian grapes. And it's also aged with French oak. So we're bringing the French right back into it. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the one thing that we learned about. Do you know how the Super Bowl features the Puppy Bowl? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the Kentucky Derby, Wolf Creek Winery, features the Goat Derby, where they have everyone dressed in their derby attire. It's a it's an event that's free to the public, and they race their goats up a hill at on the winery property. How awesome <laughs> is that? Wait, in Norton, Ohio? Why have I never heard about this? Yeah, I, yeah. Why is that? So you can check them out at wineryatwolfcreek.com or go to their Facebook at winery at Wolf Creek. 
And then to leave something so awesome like food and wine and and move our way, wade our way back into the heavy, heavy topic of death, um, many people kind of come to the realization, especially after they've experienced so much death, is that there is some form of beauty in it. It means that you've lived. It means that there was something to lose, that you've been loved. Uh, how do you see that firsthand? And what have you experienced? Yeah. So, uh, you know, earlier I talked about being tethered to the scriptures. And there's a portion of scripture in Isaiah uh, that just, uh, gone. it's poetic. And Isaiah as a prophet is speaking on behalf of uh, Jehovah God. And he says that I will give you treasures in darkness and riches in secret places. And so no one would ever expect to see beauty, kindness, gentleness, love, these wonderful aspects of, of grace uh, in such dark and dank places uh, as in the rooms where folks die. And yet time and time again, it is there. Um, when loved ones are sobbing, uh, it is it is because they have loved well. Their tears are a reminder of how much they have loved. When uh, when we are there, and I and I uh, pay attention to family members showing one another the most subtle kindnesses, there is a sort of tragic beauty of it that, candidly, without the juxtaposition of such great grief and loss, you wouldn't notice it. I remember being in a room uh, where a young woman uh, was in a car accident, had been married less than a month, and um, her 22-year-old husband uh, had to make the decision to discontinue life support. Her parents were in the room. She was her, was their child for 24 years. And just several months ago, he now became the one with the authority to make decisions. And that was both a, a burden uh, and, and, and an awful responsibility. Uh, it was so many things. I've met a lot of 22-year-olds. That's not a decision that most of them have to make. That's exactly right. Or or have the capacity to make right. a decision that big. That's, I can't, I couldn't imagine. You should be every ever put in that position to make, you know? Oh, that's terrible. And so there he is in that spot. And her parents, who just, who just in a way signed her over to him, in such a short while ago, are now powerless to his decision to remove support. And as he sat at that table, and all of us were there, and there was a sacred silence, and and as he was weeping, the father of uh, the patient, uh, the father-in-law, walked over to him and placed his hand on his shoulder and said, son, it's okay. You'll do what's right. Now, now, where is that sort of tenderness found and kindness is found and gentleness found, save in those very dark spaces? And that's, that's the uh, sacred beauty of being present in such thin places when folks step into eternity. That really is sacred. Do you think that if death was talked about more commonly in our everyday life, 
that we would have those moments more often? I think those moments are f- for us to be had uh, anytime we're willing to be vulnerable and honest with our own human condition. So death is one way to do it. And being emotionally honest is another way to do it. M- most of us live these dualistic lives, one the public self, the other this private self. Um, and in those, in, in, in the distance between the two uh, is the absence of the sacred. So as we're emotionally honest, I, I think that's where the uh, magic happens. You know what? I often tell my children, if death is anything like life before I was born, it can't be that bad because <laughs> I don't remember shit anyway. <laughs> so listen, man, that's, that's quite an astute uh, philosophical position. For for instance, and I, I wish I could remember the uh, Greek philosopher who, who said it, but but his his premise was this, that if there is a life after this death, it is infinitely better than what we have experienced. And if there is not, we won't know it. And so uh, it's okay either way. If there is a God, God is good. If God is not good, if God's an asshole, we're all screwed anyway. What are we? Who are we trying to kid? <laughs> Me personally, I I kind of believe in, uh, and I say this half joking, but reincarnation because I. I'll, I'll, I will honestly share, I don't know that I believe in heaven or hell, or at least in the, in the context that we were taught in Sunday school anymore as an adult. But I do feel the sense for needed universal justice. So like LeJohn, since he's such a horrible being, will come yeah. back as like a <laughs> roll of toilet paper. As myself, I will come back as a very rich man in the future who has several harem rooms. It's going to be a nice afterlife. And I'll come back as Paula Poundstone. <laughs> <laughs> you don't reincarnate as the same person. Wait, what? Shannon, can you help explain some stuff? <laughs> well, I better be four-ply. I mean, I want to be the, the most comfortable role. That, that stuff's getting expensive. You're damn right it is. Mm-hmm. If it's my afterlife i want it it's your day your day is coming <laughs> have you ever seen a skeleton that wasn't happy you know they're always excited and everything i mean they, they that's love... exactly right man exactly they're yeah. always dancing <laughs> they love science they love high school science <laughs> and knowing lejon when they go to do the autopsy there'll be a smiling skeleton with a broken pelvic bone <laughs> <laughs> just doing our so, job all right so matt you may remember this um because i think humor is such an important part of all of this. We cannot take ourselves too seriously, my goodness sake. I did a series at the church called The Gospel According to Film. One of the films we used was Steel Magnolias. And uh, and the scene uh, in which uh, the mother of the, of the character who had died uh, was just angry and frustrated. And in the midst of that, somebody somebody grabbed another person and said, I know you want to hit her, hit her. And, and there is just a, a, a comedic release to it. it. It truly all goes together. It must go together. There's a ridiculousness about all of this seriousness by which we take ourselves in as well. A couple of years ago when I put down my dog, who was like my best friend, the coolest animal in the world, it um and I you know, it's it's it seems silly talking about it in context of all the things that you've shared, but to me it was my world, right? And I it's it's all what they are to us. And I I almost threw up in the parking lot afterwards. It was the hardest cry I've ever 
made in my adult life. I mean, it was like it was it was like vomit, tears, snot, everything. Every every bodily yeah. orifice was just shooting out at once. I like, get all of this pain and anger out of me. And as we're talking about it on the way home, and as you know, my wife and I are trying to deal with it and unpack it. We were like zombies. And then we walk in the house and there's our other dog like begging for food at the door. And I look down, I look down at him and I go, keep it up and you're next. And (laughs) Lindsay laughs so hard and she goes, why is that funny? It shouldn't be funny. I go, because we have to be able to make light of this. Otherwise I'm going to go in the darkest depression. It's not being, it's not being funny for shock sake. It's being funny for survival sake. And it's, and it's embracing every aspect of the experience. Brother, that's that, that's so true. There's, uh, you know, life is, uh, you know, a tragedy or a comedy kind of a feel to this, um, and 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 it seems to me that uh, uh, we need a way to release the pressure. Uh, it is a gift. Humor is a gift that uh, that we possess as, as as humans. It really is. But without humor, I just don't know how in the world we would survive. Truly, don't. Um, do you think that if our society viewed death as more of a rite of passage, let's say like um, your bar mitzvah or when you become an adult, graduate high school, would we have a different view of it? Would we be celebrating death and congratulating each other for going on to the next spiritual realm? I I think that question really uh, reveals, Joe, your own struggle with how in the freak am i supposed to address this yeah please help Um, (laughs) and so um and so what you did was poignant so my sense is joe that that is how god forbid that that is how you will die that your death will be something that says you know i'm 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 graduating i'm going to the uh you know to the next horizon i i think each person frames that narrative differently i don't think it's a one-size-fits-all i truly don't i do plan on having fireworks (laughs) that might be the cause of death actually (laughs) it'll be yeah the cause and celebration (laughs) oh yeah 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 right she's gonna be a human firework Katy perry said baby you're a firework (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know but i i think the golden nugget there was we need to talk about it more we simply need to talk about it more like like I need to be able to have people that I can talk about and say, you know, um, how is it? How is it that I want to, to die? Uh, how is it? And I don't mean the manner of death. I mean, whom do I want to be when I'm dying? Share. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, those issues are things that, you know, we we move away from death as taboo. That's the point. We move away from a from a sense of ah, I don't want to think about that. Oh my God, that's so depressing. Oh my God, that's so sad. Western Civ, man, we are accustomed to getting stuff. We get married, we get jobs, we get degrees, we get houses, we get dogs, but none of us are as prepared to lose things. There's not a manual in Western Civ on losing things, on releasing things. Ugh, losing things are awful, and I never appreciate them or the people she lost her keys five minutes ago she might lose her mind in 10 minutes (laughs) Uh, uh, you you hit the nail on the head because the thing that i've had to unpack as an adult and what i've come to realize is at least to an extent 
It's the idea of nothing lasts. We look at photographs and we're like, those were the best times. And we wish that they that photograph would be a, a living picture, but it's not. And the fact is, I'm a control freak. So I try to control all of the things that I can't possibly control. And 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 obviously mortality is one of them. Yeah. And you know something, Matt, I, I God, man, that's, that's such a good insight as well, because, you know, the truth is this conversation I'm having with you guys, these are the good times, man. This is freaking awesome. Well, and we're recording, so this is perfect. Yeah, remember that. And, uh, yeah. In case anybody really wants to know what the good times are, damn it, it was on that night. Exactly. <laughs> I will tell you, every time I look back, I'm like, those were the good times. I think when I was living them, I never thought they were we the ne- good times. We, we never do because we, we uh, like you said, it's nostalgia. We, we put that sepia filter on all of our past events in our mind and we're like it was beautiful and grandpa was there and so was this person you know what i actually i actually beg to differ because maybe because i've experienced so many shit times i've experienced some garbage and and not and, and a lot of them have been because of my own doing and um i can definitely say after those bad times i would take a look at me sitting around with the kids and everything and just enjoying a genuine moment that didn't cost us didn't cost us a dime and say yeah this is where it's at. Mm, well, that sounds like you're self-introspective, and not many of us are. <laughs> Lejon, Le- you're an actor. You're all about the moment. You're all about, until they yell cut, you are just living I'm your living best it, life. Man. I'm in there. <laughs> uh, but to speak to what John is saying, there's a, there is a magic to being present and saying, you know, something, man, I, I, I'm going to be here and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to enjoy this. Um, there's also a magic in being able to tell our historical story with grace, with kindness, to, to tell our story more complete than the critic, the little critic inside of our own head. Um, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a gift, man. Um, and it will, it, it will serve us well moving forward as well. And Alan Watts said, if you can't live in the present, you can't live anywhere. So... <laughs> Yeah, so so Joe, you have been quoting several of my favorite people. Alan Watts, I dig that guy too, man. Yeah, you have some breath. Uh, Joseph Campbell, Alan Watts, these guys are um, they are all about framing the human experience in a way really that it can only be framed, which is through narrative, which is through story. So um, if, even even if you study the sacred texts, they're written more often than not in story form. We're going to remember these moments, right? We're, we're in them now. It's, we kind of frame them as the rolling moment, um, but we're in them now. But two days from now or an hour from now, when I tell my wife about how this went, I will tell it in narrative form. Open on the scene inside my living room. I, I couldn't go into the office. <laughs> my rippling muscles were <laughs> bursting my shirt open. <laughs> oh, so you've seen photos of Shannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the uh he's the fabio of northeast ohio um so not enough focus is put on to how do we live our lives so that those things our moments of death our final thoughts our regrets our whatever an afterlife looks like how do we live our lives in a way that actually you know adds meaning to all of those things yeah, I, um, I, I think it's such a profound way of looking at things because, um, again, it speaks to what I had commented on earlier, that more often than not, we die as we have lived. But Jesus is, is walking through, and he's got his disciples with him, and they come across a person born blind, and the disciples ask the question, 
that presupposed their bias. Somebody asked the question, who has sinned, this man or his parents? It presupposed that blindness is the result of sin, is the result of some behaving poorly or some sort of karmic justice. And Jesus did not answer that. He said, uh, neither. Neither this man nor his parents. No, that's not it. But that God's work, that God would be glorified. So, so in that moment, it just, for some reason, it speaks to me so deeply in terms of the why is not answered. If you search the scriptures, the why is never answered. Why is it like this? Beat the hell out of me. Why is this person sent? Not, I, I have no answer for that. Why did my sister die? Oh, well, uh, because she got ran over and her organs stopped and her heart stopped. That's why. Is there any comfort in that? Of course not. The why is a lament. Um, that's important because it's confusing. But what is more important is the what. What do we do in the face of uncertainty, in the face of not knowing? What is it that we do? We show kindness to each other. We love one another. We support each other. We're present to one another's suffering and pain. It speaks to the what we ought to be to one another currently. Uh, and there's a there's a there's a loveliness in that. I, I love that. I, I love that because the what um, speaks towards action. Yeah, because we, we can all say it. But what are we doing outside of what we're saying? And um, I, I, I love that. But, but Shannon, I, yeah. I, I got I got to ask you. Um, does the look of death change upon each face or is it the same? Well, when death arrives, it is always peaceful. When someone they have cared for dies, each physician is impacted and it always looks the same. The physician, the provider, the chaplain, the social worker, uh, the nurse are powerless to that which is going to happen. But the look on the person in the bed is peaceful. Just always is. That's 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 that's, actually, that's actually beautiful. Yeah, seriously. Um, I've that. never heard that. And that is, man, that's just so nice to hear. Um, Shannon, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share that we haven't touched on? Uh, yeah, I, I would encourage exactly what you're doing, which is to go there. Um, uh, he said in, the title. Sorry. I can pimp this shit. I know what's going on. I would encourage you to go there. Um, but not, not, not just in a podcast, but each individually in each of our lives to go there to the areas in life that make us feel uncomfortable. Um, so uh, one, of the, one of the greatest sort of books that has ever uh, helped me was a, is a book by Pima Chodron. She's a Buddhist. And uh, she wrote a little book called The Places That Scare You. And uh, uh, it has been such a help to me. So for me to go to the places that I would not normally go are that on the other side of my fear uh, is my fulfillment. And so I would encourage all of you as well to, as you personally go there, uh, your borders are going to uh, expand. Your horizons will 
uh, become more vast. I don't know that I could be doing this podcast now without reading it. That isn't just a plug for the book, but kind of a plug for that entire mindset and everything that you've talked about in this podcast, which is and, and, and what this podcast is about. Don't be afraid to go there. We are we're scared about peeling back those layers, but it gets so much better. It's easy to go from making a stupid, corny joke like we were just minutes ago to jumping right back into the deep, to the heavy, and not feeling like you skipped a beat. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth, bro. That is the truth, man. I feel very fortunate to be able to hang out with you guys tonight. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being here with us today. And thank you to our highlight of the week for Snack Sips and Sweets, the winery at Wolf Creek. And you can go to winery at wolfcreek.com or you can visit them at at winery at Wolf Creek on Facebook. And everything you just said kind of perfectly tees up our final song we're going to play from your son's band, Wolf Creek. The song that you told me on the phone, you're like, oh, you got to have this song. Can you uh, tee it up for us? Um, is it the one, how many different ways can you fuck up my life? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> life is despairing and joyful. Um, life is amazing and shitty. And it's the raw sense and raw feeling of, um, I anticipated it to be this way, and it was not. It was the other way. And so the lament is so powerful. How many different ways can you fuck up my life? And yet, on the other end of that, goodness, life is still beautiful. How many different ways will you fuck up my life? What new way will you fuck it up this time? We just went there. Now you can go to Instagram at the Going There Podcast, Facebook at Going There Podcast, or email us at goingtherepodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsay Baker, Tyler Kubisti, Michael Madgar, Joe Callie, and Bobby Thomas. 